0: All right, everyone. Today on the show, we have Christian Raguse. Christian's coming to us from Salt Lake City and is a photographer that's published two photo books. Uh, So in this episode, we do a deep dive on the stories behind these books, find out some of his photography tips, and just hear about how he's making it work in the ski industry. We do listener questions at the end, which can be submitted on our Instagram, at 2 As always, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating. And yeah, that's all for the intro. So here you go. Hope you like it. (music)
1: So, uh, all right, let's start out. Christian, who are you and what do you do? Hey, I'm uh, I'm a ski photographer. I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I spend my winters getting out and shooting photos in the mountains. Nice, man. So, uh, where are you living right now? So, right now, I'm in Salt Lake City. Um, I've been here for about five years. Coming up this August, um, it's warming up out here.
0: Yeah. So I figured you you were one of the Salt Lake guys. So let's uh, let's dive into how somebody from Grand Rapids ended up like out in Salt Lake doing ski photography because that's kind of a uh, long distance to travel and definitely pretty uh, dissimilar from where you grew up. I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's definitely a longer story. Um, so I started out Grand Rapids. I had a small little hill. It was uh, it was called Cannonsburg and it was maybe 250 300 feet tall, and they. Uh, were well known for their terrain parks. And so growing up, I'd go out there all the time with my homies and we would, you know, try and ride the terrain parks, try and hit the jumps, try to um, come up with new tricks, this and that. But for me, the terrain era, sorry, rather the tricks weren't quite coming around for me. And so early on when I was about, I want to say 14 or 15, I picked up a GoPro and just started shooting my friends. And years and years of that there. And then I decided I wanted to travel on up to Houghton, Michigan for college at Michigan Tech. And if if you're familiar with the Upper Peninsula, they're well known for like hundreds of inches of snow, like quite different from the rest of the Midwest. And um, so I went up there, I was studying geological engineering at the time I was really stoked on going up there because I figured, well, it's in-state, you know, it's gonna be a cheaper school, it's eight hours away, it's far enough from home that I'll feel like kind of separated from that hometown feel and um, the snow is there. And so everything lined up. I was you know, telling myself, telling everyone around me that I was gonna become a geological engineer or an engineer of some sorts. But uh, once I was up there, once I was in school and really diving into classwork, I always found myself like, wanting to break away from school as often as I could to like, shoot photos of friends, shoot a little video here and there, and just get out to the local hill. And so it was, it was two years up there of me just spending about every weekend, every like, waking moment outside of the classroom or the library, just trying to shoot photos um so let's see a year went by I was still committed after my freshman year to geological engineering second year comes around first semester I remember I was in physics too it was like electricity and magnetism or something just super out there like very like nitty-gritty uh math work and I remember going into the first exam or maybe it's a lecture before the first exam, the professor said, okay, like next Tuesday or next week, you know, we're gonna be tested on all this material we've gone over so far. And at that time, I'm like, thinking to myself like, shit, I have not hardly absorbed any of this information. Like, it's just not here for me. It's gonna take, you know, five days of 24 seven studying to prepare for this. So I remember going in to see my advisor, even before that exam and I'm like, this isn't it, you know, I'm spending all my my free time and all my energy, like in photography, this is what I'm feeling here. And uh, I ended up dropping the class before the first exam. Like this, this is not something that I can get behind right now. I'm just not focused on it. And so my second semester there, I, transferred into the business school and so I was taking some marketing classes and really feeling like I wanted to uh, you know make a move out of engineering and so um, I remember the conversation with my parents when I was out there is I think I was I picked up a lease with some friends for a house we were going to move into for our third year for our junior year of school and I remember we had it printed out and I was like I might have signed it actually I signed this lease for the next year that I wasn't like personally committed to thinking oh yeah like these are the motions these are like what I'm expected to do right now and so I signed the lease and I remember that night I called my parents and I'm like hey mom and dad like things aren't going super well here in engineering school like it's been okay, you know. I've gotten by, but like, this is not for me. This is not what I want to keep going with in school, and so, kind of a tough conversation. It was one of those ones. It's like I have to be brutally honest because that's got to be me looking out for myself, or else I think I would have found myself just going through more and more emotions of what people expected from me. So anyway, I ended up leaving Michigan Tech. And, uh, at the same time that I was sort of packing up and all and getting ready to, uh, move out, I applied for my first job at Wendell's ski camp. And so right around, hmm. So this was May of 2017, I believe. And, uh, yeah, I sent out these applications. I was hitting up Jason Aaron's over at Wendell's and, I remember it was, like, countless times shooting an email back, like, hey, man, I'm trying to figure out my summer. Like, I want to apply for these other jobs, but I'm most interested in coming to Wendell's. And very fortunately, I remember one day in particular, he called me. Maybe he texted me and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to call you. I've got some good news. And I remember he called me and he's was like, hey, like, you got the job. We'd love to have you out here. And I remember just kind of, like, losing it, you know? like I was all there but I'm just thinking oh shit like this is this is real like this is where my passion lies like this is what I want to do and you know Jason basically just invited me with open arms said you're coming out to camp and it was it was definitely like the cherry on top of deciding like engineering wasn't quite for me it's like okay now I can go shoot skiing like the shit that I've really been enjoying up here in Houghton's like now I can go do it with the big dogs. Right. And so I remember, uh, calling my dad back, I think, uh, very quickly after Jason talked to me, and I remember, you know, like shedding tears on the phone, just like so excited that this opportunity is working out because this is like what I've always wanted for myself. You know, I've grown up like, trying to hit jumps, trying to learn tricks and all this stuff. And like, I swear, I was just always getting hurt and like feeling broken physically. And so it's like, the camera was it. I knew when Dallas was like the door, like the door in. And uh, yeah, when Jason called me and I later called my dad, I was just like on cloud nine. It was incredible. So before we,
0: uh, before we move forward with the storyline. So those early days, When you were applying for Wendell's, did you send over a portfolio of work? Like, was your your photography up to where it is now or were you surprised that you even got the job in the first place?
1: Uh, You know, that's a good question. And I think at that time I had my website up and running with some ski photos and such. But I would guess at that time that Jason could have gone to my Instagram to see some of my photos. Um, Back at that time, I was just like, sharing immediately like all my favorite ski photos like as soon as i shoot them they're just like going out and so yeah i whether it's a portfolio or my instagram i just shot that to jason and you know i don't i don't know everything just kind of clicked yeah so and how
0: are you how are you getting um equipment in those early days was it like cameras you got for birthdays were you saving up money from part-time jobs like how would how are you getting all your gear
1: yeah, that's a good question. So early on, I started out with like a GoPro Hero 3 or something, and I was shooting photos, shooting video, making stupid edits back in the day. And uh, I remember for Christmas, I was, no, so I was shooting with my dad's Rebel XT. It's this old DSLR, It's maybe like eight megapixels, but interchangeable lenses and such. And I was shooting that all the time. And uh, one year for christmas i asked for a canon t3i which is like the entry camera at the time like the camera you want for photo and video when you're like getting into it and so i shot with that t3i for maybe four to five years all throughout high school and uh i had this really cool opportunity come about my senior year of high school where i was in a broadcasting class and we would create these videos to be shared around the school of, you know, different spotlights on sports and activities and whatever's going on. And my instructor in the class, she said, Hey, there's this, uh, there's this video competition coming up and it's all on these like PSAs on like healthy, responsible living, so to speak. And so she had this link or the website to all the previous entries into this PSA contest. And, uh, I remember clicking through and all these 30 second spots of like, you know, here's why you don't do this. Here's why you don't do that. You know, eat your vegetables. Just, you know, the categories are like kindergarten, sixth grade, like high school, yada, yada. And so I remember watching all these past entries on the website. I'm like, I think I can do better. Like, I think I, I got a vision here. And so my senior year of high school, I created eight PSAs these 30-second videos to go to this local competition. And I actually won first place with one of them in a category and then, like, two runner-up prizes. But it was pretty amazing because I think I won close to, like, two grand in the in the contest. Just, like, stupid money, like, getting out of high school. And I'm like, what you know, what do I even do with this? And I immediately took that money, ran to the camera store, not the same day, but, like, I was dead set, like, okay, 5D Mark three. like, coming right up, like, I'm, I'm in it now, like, I am ready to buy this camera, and like, invest myself, so that was, like, definitely sort of a, a flip of the switch, per se, like, end of high school, like, I'm ready to take this seriously. Yeah,
0: and so, like, that's kind of the same time that you were applying for schools and, like, figuring out your major, so did you just do engineering, because, like that's what it was expected of you basically?
1: You know, it's funny to look back on it. I, at the time I was committed personally, like thinking about it and looking forward to it as like, oh, here's this job where I'm pretty good with math. I'm good with numbers. I'm, you know, okay with sciences and whatever. And I saw it as an opportunity. It's like, well, these people in geological engineering they theoretically spend a lot of time outside they get to travel the pay is there and you know i can go study it in the upper peninsula in a place like michigan tech and so at the time i was totally committed and i was feeling like it was the right move for me and you know i think yeah i think when i got up there just realizing the classes it's it's a lot of office work it's a lot less of like that glorified you know travel time and this and that and i think once i was up in class and like i don't know about this for 35 years you know it's like i could i could stick out for no problem but i don't know if i want this for the next 30 40 years um so at that point it's just like shit i gotta get out of here now before i finish this degree um, Yeah, definitely I- i'm sure like <laughs>
0: I'm sure a lot of people feel that way and then just don't make that same leap. Cause that's a, that's a pretty scary leap going from that safe, you know, college path to all right, mom, dad, I'm going to go take photos full time.
1: <laughs> that's, that's pretty tough to justify for a lot of people. Totally. Well, and I must say I wasn't done with school at that point. So at the time I was leaving Michigan tech and applying to windows, I was also applying to other colleges outside of Michigan and, Sort of all around for like business programs and marketing. And so, University of Utah was like number one. I knew all the skiing was like right here. There's six, seven resorts within an hour and a half or so, something. And so, University of Utah was up there. You know, I looked at Colorado State, just all these other schools where I could get out into the ski world really and finish school. Um, yeah, I remember my parents, they when I told them I was done with engineering and I was looking to move on, they're like, okay, like we support you, but maybe you want to stick around here in Michigan and like go to this local school and like get a business degree there. And I'm like, you know, I at that point when I left Michigan Tech, I felt so strongly like I need to be a part of skiing in one way or another. And so when they they suggested that, I'm just like, I knew like I can't. You know, I just can't do that. It's, I've come this far. I've done these two years of engineering school and now I see what I want. It's like, I need to feel some space to go, go and get it. Um, nice. So you get the job at Wendell's.
0: This is 2017. So what happens from there?
1: Yeah. So 2017 a shot out there all summer, wild summer, just first time meeting all these people, all these big dogs, filmers, photographers, epic summer, and uh, from there, I moved directly to Salt Lake, where I actually came into the dorms at the University of Utah here, and had my first year of school, Um, you know, entering into some marketing classes, and like some pre-rack business classes, after coming out of like engineering courses, and like calculus and all these physics and chemistry classes it's like it was a walk in the park for me um it was just you know going into excel and like learning some of the basic features on like computer programs and such and so the first year I skied so much like I could go to class go straight to the mountain go skiing and then you know do my homework in like two hours at night so thankfully I could really just kind of keep plugging away at it and create that space and that time just to get up and continue shooting and uh, skiing a bit. From there, that next spring, I decided to go back to Wendell's and uh, linked up with Owen Dahlberg. That's when I met Owen out there. Um, bunch of homies out there that summer. We lived up in Gubby and. the Audio Video House, uh, government camp, and yeah, worked out there. Shot photos again. You know the same drill. I just wanted to uh, wanted to be a part of it again. I wasn't willing to let you know the the summer on hood go by so quick. So had to go out the second time. You know, felt far more confident going into it that I could, you know, really like work with these skiers and everyone around like on a closer more personal level I would say rather than just being this like nervous shy photographers like kind of lurking in like the corners of the terrain park I felt like I could actually approach some of the skiers better and like you know get just get it done and find the shots and uh, get those for camp Um, so so many memories and so many stories it's just like the gears are turning here
0: Yeah. So I've actually, I've, so I've never been to Wendell's like, like for work or, or as a camper when I was younger. So what's the setup for the athletes, like their time spent, um, like coaching versus just like messing around because it seems like from the videos, it seems like there's a lot of messing around. So there's probably a lot of opportunity to like, just go up and be like, yo, can I shoot you while you're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z?
1: Yeah, totally. So a lot of the pros that come to camp, they're, uh, you know, they need to spend X amount of time with the campers and like doing these clinics and these on snow lessons and such. And uh they're sort of allotted. Like here's what you gotta do to like be a part of this this mission here is, you know, coach coach these kids in essence. And uh outside of that, they were free just to ski like all of the Windows Park. There is the Timberline like Pro Park. But then even like bombing out to the Palmer lift and taking full laps and such is, you know, as long as they were spending some time with the campers, like working with them and they're pretty personable people, they, you know, they could do their own show. They could run it. So,
0: yeah. So did any of those, uh, athlete interactions that stood out for you from that time, they still look back on you're like, damn, that was sick.
1: Yeah. Let me think about that. Um, oh my gosh there, there's just so many and they all like kind of blur together i remember so one good story here um foster meets it was i want to say session two this was summer of 2018 session two like day one of the session everyone just came off like this two or three day weekend in essence of not skiing and foster was a part of the uh Uh, the digger crew and so he was building all the features getting it all prepped up and I remember this first day we're all like you know kind of stretching we had a couple days off of skiing and I get into the park in the morning and he goes yo goose like this feature down here I'm about to hit it like I'm I'm going big you know and he like you know it's 9 30 in the morning he didn't have a shirt on he was like amped up on it already and we're all just like rubbing our eyes like all right we're so i saw what he was gonna do it was a big wall ride to a down rail and so i go down and he just comes absolutely screaming down through the lane like i i don't know mach 10 and gets up onto this wall ride and uh just absolutely launches over the entire down rail. and it's probably one of my favorite photos from camp actually it's uh if you go to his instagram it's actually his profile picture there yeah, it is
0: it's still his profile photo that's that's a six that's a sick shot right there
1: yeah thank you thank you it was it was one of those shots i'm just like this is almost too good to be true like you know i just ate breakfast an hour ago but this dude is so fired up to get the shot that you know he yeah it it was incredible big ups to Neeks on that dude he is sending in that photo
0: that is sick. Yeah, so that's on uh, that's on Christian's uh, Gooser Instagram. If you want to see like the blown up version of it, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. When did you post that? You posted that uh, February twelfth, twenty twenty. So I'll see if I can uh, get people to go see it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's so that's that's super sick. So you were just stoked on that. And I'm sure he was pretty stoked on it too.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was he was charged up like that whole summer. He was just like going off the entire time.
0: Yeah. So you're linking up with uh, like Owen that summer too. Um, and so I don't know if this is messing up the timeline, but is that when you guys start like working together professionally and like start teasing, like the idea of, uh, of doing human error?
1: Yeah, that's exactly the summer. It's that summer of 2018. I remember, I remember being in the car with Owen. We had to go get groceries or something from our house we were living in. And it was myself, Owen, and then the homie, Joey Favara. We were there and, just driving into like sandy or gresham um probably headed to winco one of our favorite grocery grocery stores at the time um and we were just talking about how so much of ski media and ski content is just kind of floating away in essence on the internet and on social media and stuff and skiing kind of lost or we thought the physical and tangible aspect that it once had and like Getting DVDs, getting magazines and such. We thought that something was kind of like fading away. And so Owen was really jazzed on the idea of moving to Salt Lake for that coming winter. And, you know, I was already there. I already, you know, knew some homies that'd be down to shoot. And he had some friends that were also there and moving out and such. So we decided, we're like, why don't we just shoot a bunch of photos? We won't share them. You know he'll shoot the video and create the movie of human error and you know we'll just like create something physical and something that we could distribute to people and they can have on a bookshelf forever and that was an idea that really stuck with us that summer at camp and you know that was sort of the theme of the book even and of the film it's like you know so many things we do nowadays when we do it for like internet hype and internet attention it just floats away and then we're looking for the next little the next little uh bit there for us but you know creating something physical such as human error um and later spectacle it's like this is this is what i want like this is this is the right feeling of like having something physical that you know i'll have it forever it's not going away yeah so that
0: first year Uh, when you're making the book what's your whole process did you you already have like the creative vision and like the whole because for the people that don't know so the so these books there's like a writing component and and a photos component so did you already have like the written word in mind of like the story that you wanted to tell
1: not at all not at all I approached that winter with Owen like shooting together all the time and we just kind of brainstorm and just shoot the shit all the time like you know, how about we talk about this, we think like, this is an important aspect to add in this and that. And so I think for me, it creating the book, I shot nearly all the photos. And in that spring, maybe late March or something, I would start to organize them on my computer. And, you know, the story, the story would just slowly reveal itself, like, working through the photos. Um, and so human error, I felt it was like, Definitely the sentiment that we were feeling that winter and like what we wanted to touch on like the challenges of you know giving skiing your all in essence and like giving yourself to it and sort of the uh I don't know, we tried to bring together the season, all the experiences. We had several homies get like seriously hurt that winter, and like we had awesome power days, we had like icy park days, we had a lot of days in the streets, this and that. And so for me, human error was like, how do I take all these, you know, vastly different experiences on snow and shooting, skiing, and how do I sort of take an umbrella and like, how do I sort of explain all of these and pull them into one piece? And so the story kind of formed by the way of the photos, I would say. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm just, so I'm just going through like the PDF that you sent me over right now. And, um, the one, there's like some pretty gnarly sections of it. The one that like definitely stood out to me was the, uh, was the big cottonwood gap over the river. Cause the written uh, word is like, Oh yeah. Like he's going for it. Gets like woken up on the ground, like broken off with blood all over his face. So what's the story behind that?
1: Oh, that that's a tough one to tell. Um, our homie Tucker Addison, uh, So Owen and I, Tucker, and then our other homie, Andreas Bonar, we went up Big Cottonwood, I think, ultimately planning to go to Brighton later in the day, but thinking we would uh, stop at this jump that gapped one of the rivers in the canyon. Um, So we get up, we get up into the canyon, we see it. Um, Thankfully some other folks built it already and they just wanted to give it a try and, you know, see what they could do on it just for fun and so we get up there they shape it um Tucker gets up high he's ready to speed check the jump and he comes bombing down through the through the forest really and you know he yeah speed check he clears the jump he makes it to the other side no problem and so everyone's feeling stoked on it you know I'm like somewhere down on the snow bank like almost in the river trying to shoot up and get a good angle on the jump and so tucker says yeah you know what i'm gonna front flip it and he committed to the front flip and he hikes back up to the top and we think coming down that time like doing the front flip he kind of like absorbed some of his momentum into the jump per se and so he lost like some of his some of his speed over and uh he came up maybe two feet, a foot and a half short on the jump and just double ejection, just kind of face to snow and, um, yeah, busted up one of his ankles real bad. His, his eye and his nose was bleeding, like all swollen and stuff. And it just it, it just happened, you know, at the snap of your fingers, it, it was one of those things. We were all just pretty comfortable with it. Or rather like we expected him to just clear it and ride away just fine but so quickly he was just facing the snow on the ground like like totally lost like so confused and we uh we get we run up to Tucker and he's just like throbbing in his boot like we can't even take his boot off his he feels that his ankle just like destroyed in there and He's got blood on his face. He's all tired. And I'm sure you see in the book that there's a couple photos of us like trying to pick him up and get him into the car. And then ultimately to the ER that day. Um, Yeah, it was it was one of those times, you know, we went up thinking, okay, it's it's a jump. Yeah, it's a jump over a river, but it's not, you know, the biggest jump they've ever hit before. So why don't we just go see it, give it a try. And unfortunately that was one of those days where things just didn't work out for us
0: Mm -hmm. and so when something like that happens in front of you you know because you're documenting the whole thing like what's going through your mind like in that moment because obviously from the photos you could tell you're definitely thinking all right well I got to document this but are you getting freaked out are you getting worried like what's happening for
1: you yeah so it's definitely panic like pretty quick or at least it's a it's about three seconds of looking and thinking, Oh shit, something went wrong. And then it's like, you know, we're there. Like we, we know he's like down and he's hurt. So for a hot second, it's just like, okay, is he, is he okay? Is he okay? No. And then we're like, we're there like checking on him. Um, yeah, definitely a very scary experience up there. Um, never love seeing any blood, you know, neck, Neck and above, it's like blood is never good. So it was pretty scary because he wasn't walking, but he was also like pretty swollen around his face and his nose. And yeah, rough, rough, day that one.
0: Yeah, that's really gnarly. So what ended up happening? Broken ankle, busted up face, but nothing too bad. Like no broken like face
1: bones or anything, right? No. Yeah, I don't think any broken face bones. Uh, broken ankle, and I think some maybe a ligament or two down in his ankle um, were torn or stretched or something. And that was, I think maybe a four to five month recovery for Tucker. Um, a long time, just getting back at it. So mm-hmm. Damn. one of those days.
0: Yeah. That's gnarly. And there's like a, so it's just still looking through this, you know, there's a lot of the, uh, the classic, that you see see a lot of content of like the classic Salt Lake shots of like urban and, uh, and at the mountains there. But one that like, so a section that really sticks out at the end is like the China section. So what's the backstory? Uh, or is that, you have a ticket? Japan. To, it's a ticket to Japan. Yeah. Sorry. I thought it was a, uh, yeah. 14 hours after a flight from the States to China. So did you, did you like have a layover in China or something first? Yes, or, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Cool. So, so you fly out there layover in China then you're skiing out in Japan what was that like
1: oh my gosh that was maybe the best week of my life um it was the most incredible time getting out and seeing how much snow that really falls in Japan um it was one of those opportunities that you know you dream of you think about all the time but then you're there and it feels like unreal it feels like supernatural in a sense um yeah we i remember a couple days out there we would ski in snow so deep that we couldn't feel like any firm base you know below the powder we'd be in so much snow that it felt truly bottomless and you know i would know like in the states we like to think oh this snow is so deep you know it's This is bottomless. This is bottomless after like 12 inch storms. But this out here in Japan was it was maybe a meter of snow overnight. And we get out there and all the time we'd just be skiing down. It would flatten out a little bit and we'd just kind of sink and stop. And we'd just have to trudge our way out, you know, and it gets flatter. And it, it was such an incredible experience getting out there. I was fortunate enough to go with a really amazing crew. It was uh, like Jonah Williams, his girlfriend, Jacob Callahan, um, Jake Doan, Georgie, like all these awesome people. And it it was one of those trips that I don't think I could ever relive the same way or like it is truly a once in a lifetime, I would say just being there with that crew and shooting out there. It was, it was amazing.
0: Yeah. And so were you out there Uh, working for them working for like were you all working for a company where you're just doing it for fun like what was the circumstances they brought you out there
1: yeah so it was mostly just for fun I know um, in the past like Jonah had gone out a couple years in a row I believe with uh, with Jacob J-Cal and they would film some pieces for uh, Atomic fees and so early on I was thinking okay I'll I'll come out and I'll I'll help support them and like what they're shooting um, only to find out they weren't actually doing it. And it was just kind of a fun homie trip to Japan. They just love it so much and they had to go back. And so really it was just kind of a fun trip going out. And of course being there, It's I had my camera in my pack or in my hands like the entire time that it, it wasn't one of those things that I wanted to just enjoy the first time and like ski without, without the camera. For me it's kind of like cloud nine i'm here in japan you know i better shoot it because like this is it this is my opportunity and uh yeah it's just kind of a fun trip i was shooting pretty casually but i guess consistently throughout the whole trip with everyone there mm-hmm. um it, it was epic
0: so it's is human error like in in chronological order like was that towards the end of your year of of making this book, or was that or did you just throw that towards the end of the
1: story? Yeah, you know i it was not quite chronological. We were in Japan, I think it was like the last week of January first week of February, and uh let me think here. No, I, I put that section in the book just because I wanted to break up the story and wanted to, uh, sort of give it all the space it, it deserves. Um, so I'm trying to remember, I remember trying to shut it down and just give, give off the final message in human era of like, well, we're as young as we'll ever be. We have as much, you know, freedom and I guess, opportunity to do everything that we want to do nowadays let's make sure that we're not wasting it and that was sort of the essence of the book that i was trying to get at was you know we have so so much opportunity we know there's so much out there we want to do let's not let's not get lost looking for it let's let's see it let's know it and let's let's go for it let's get what we want that's
0: awesome yeah and so you you guys finish up this project, you get all the photos compiled, you, you know, Owen's got all those videos. So what's like the uh, logistics of actually getting it to print? Because I'm assuming you had never printed a book before this.
1: No, first time. First time with Human Air. Um, I was very fortunate to have the help of a close homie, Corey Kirby, working with Human Air. And so he sort of runs a independent, freelance like publishing company where he helps like all sorts of artists and writers to publish their work. And so I had been in contact with Corey earlier. He knew I was doing the project and he could help walk me through some of the like technical details of exporting PDFs and like making sure everything is formatted in the right way. And fortunate, fortunately he was in touch or he knew of a couple good printers and he sort of walked me through the process of like, exporting it getting all the files right sending it in and all of that it it was kind of a lot i think without his help i definitely would have bought some things just getting all the colors right and like there was all sorts of converting to do and file types and yeah very fortunate to have corey's help because it's it's a process that you don't want to you don't want to go through by yourself for the first time i would say hmm
0: yeah. And so, I mean, this was definitely passion driven. Did you end up making any money off this project or, or because I, I'm assuming printing can't be cheap, especially for like a large format, full color photography. Yeah.
1: Book? Right. Right. Um, it, the answer doesn't come quickly to me. So I'm going to say that we did not make much money on human area. So between Owen and I, we just kind of split it up because we did the DVD with the book. We, Had all these custom made DVDs and we put the film on there and had a little sleeve in the back of the book that we could uh tape it to. You know, I we sort of split it through and through. And I remember that at the end we each had some money in our pockets, but we also like, you know, had some fun along the way. Like we did a premiere in Steamboat, Colorado, and went out there, showed the film. We sold some books and did like some giveaways and stuff like that there and you know we might have made some money here and there but ultimately like it was for the experience like we we didn't walk away with a lot of cash that's for sure
0: yeah yeah that's that's pretty fun <laughs> so uh so you guys release it and what was uh what was the re- what was the reaction from from you know the people out there and what was your reaction to their reaction because i know that you probably put like a lot of uh A lot of yourself like went into this book
1: yeah totally totally the reaction was very positive you know i think we initially stuck for wanted a quality of the book that was something different than just a magazine we wanted it to be thicker heavier like have the appearance and the feel of an actual book and the feedback we got once people were receiving it was actually quite incredible um people love flipping through, just seeing all the colors, these big photos blown up and, you know, the detail and all of it and the printing was like spot on and better than I would have even expected coming from the printer. And so all the feedback we received from people was very positive. Um, It was, I didn't love the fact that a lot of the feedback we would get was sort of through social media you know, it, it was one of those projects and I don't know if you've had the time to read through the, the book quite yet, but uh, a part of the message in human error was like, let's not, you know, make the show of our lives to like put on social media, like let's make sure we embrace and enjoy and like seek our own meanings and the things that we do and like take away as much as we can. And so I think at that time for me, I was definitely just sort of salty and tired of social media and tired of posting so much and feeling like I had to keep up in that, that little hamster wheel there. Um, so I didn't love, you know, a lot of like stories being posted and such. Um, it, it was one of those things, like, I want to hear, I want to talk to someone in person. I want to like hear from them, like that they enjoyed it, um, or any feedback for that matter. Um, and don't, don't get me wrong, I loved the feedback, I, whether it's social media or whatever, it's it's always great to hear if people like it, if people would, you know, do something differently, yada, yada. It was, um, yeah, it was incredible feedback and we definitely left it feeling inspired to like keep shooting and keep working with the same riders and such. Yeah, for sure. And so did you kind
0: of ride... So, so that one probably had a pretty good reception from what it sounds like. So did that, that inspire you to think, Hey, let's do another one. Or I don't know if you worked with Owen on the second one. It seems like it was more of a, like a solo project for a spectacle. So how Mm -hmm. did you like take the energy from finishing that first one and bring it into, all right, I'm going to do this again, but I'm going to do it different.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I remember finishing human error and sort of, marketing it and calling it a photo journal throughout the entire time and when i finished and the project was over it's like well that was a photo journal it wasn't i didn't call it a book i didn't call it a book like throughout the time of making it and so i i sort of told myself I'm like i want to do it bigger i want to do it better i want to have more of a meaning here like a more thorough story and such. i want to make a book a photo book truly and uh That was sort of the energy that i carried into the next winter of just you know shooting as many different uh, days and time on snow that i could and so the story sort of developed along with the shooting more throughout the winter and then that following spring for spectacle it was sort of a tough time to write the story because the story has nothing to do with skiing i maybe say the word skiing like one time in the story itself but i wanted the message and spectacle to kind of coincide with you know the efforts and the enthusiasm that so many people have for skiing um it was one of those stories like it needs to make sense for skiers i want skiers to see this read it take something from it and like continue on into the next week next winter whatever that might be but ultimately i want someone who may not be able to relate to the photos and the skiing aspect of it i want them to read the story and see like just as much value or just as much of a meaning there as someone who's involved with skiing
0: Mm -hmm. and so where did like the inspiration for the story come from i mean we can get into like a little bit of a literary analysis because this the Spectacle is definitely very different from human error. Like this is like you said, the, the spectacle is a book and it has the story to go along with it. So like, what was your creative process for writing it? And like, what's kind of like the,
1: the meaning behind
0: like the the protagonist's journey?
1: Sure. So the meaning, and it's so hard for me to sort of summarize it and to sum it up. Um, but the meaning of spectacle and sort of the message that I was trying to get at was that, so the main character, he, he can be anyone, he can be you, he can be myself, he could be your next door neighbor, but in essence, this person goes about their day-to-day, and they come across all sorts of battles, all sorts of challenges, you know, socially, uh, physically, emotionally, they're like, you could be down in the dumps at any time, um, at any age, anybody out there, and so I, in essence, wanted to Tell a story as a metaphor to what it's like to be that person and to see and to seek their way through these challenges and to sort of understand and contextualize for themselves what they're going through and to see a door out of it into the other side to where they want to be ultimately into uh you know the life they want to live. It's uh it's kind of hard to describe it all. It's um, it's one of those things that to me, it felt so personal writing it in a way that I could sort of reflect back on my own life and see like all these different trying times of, you know, this, that, the other thing and trying to find my way to what I want and ultimately wind up shooting ski photos you know all winter long and I just wanted to come up with a story that would sort of click to anyone out there that reads it and they could think okay like here's where I am here's where I want to be here's what I have to go through to get there there's all these distractions there's people telling me do this do that that's wrong this is right and really it's sort of a message of like dive in, dive deep, try and figure yourself out, figure out what you want and ultimately break down the walls to get there. So.
0: Yeah. So I did, I did read through the book last night, like super late. So I was pretty tired, but um, when you were telling your story earlier about coming from Michigan, like out to Utah, totally saw the parallels between like the story and spectacle and your story. So that definitely got through.
1: Yeah. No, awesome. That, that was one of those times, you know, I could relate the beginning of the story to some of my days, you know, in Dauphin Peninsula, of Michigan, where I knew there was something out there for me. I was willing and ready to approach it, but I didn't quite know what it was, or I didn't know how to get there. And so I'd spend so much time out just shooting, skiing and like doing, and digging away at what I knew I could do to get me ultimately to where I am now. And it, uh, it's just sort of a long journey of you know, re- recognizing like what in my life is a distraction? What is ultimately like keeping me from doing what I want to do? What is ultimately like holding me back in a place of comfort in a place that many people and ultimately society wants me when this over here is what I really want. And so the spectacle is sort of a story or a tale of, you know, recognizing some distractions, recognizing that we don't have to fit in with the crowd all the time. It's, it's good. And it's sometimes extremely rewarding for us to break out of that mold and go find and ultimately get what we're looking for.
0: You're pretty embedded in the, uh, and like one of the most core areas of the ski scene right now do you feel like like the athletes and the other and the other industry people around you are relating to the message that was going on in spectacle
1: um it's a good question i i can say yes and i think i could say no as well um you know i think the message itself once it's boiled down and sort of summarized I think a lot of people have gotten behind it and sort of resonated with it what I think's tricky about it is you know I definitely didn't uh I guess hold myself back on word choice and sort of like how I phrased it all and how I sort of creatively told the story and I think that the way I told it in essence could have kept some folks from really like understanding it and like taking it and like really i guess bringing it like to their own life and analyzing their own life through the lens of the book um i i do think a lot of people can see it and they see the message there um you know my only wish is that like anyone that reads it anyone that can really understand it for what i tried to put in the pages will like remember it and will you know do do their best to see their way through their own distractions their own challenges and to know that ultimately like there is a place for them doing exactly what they want to do for a long time
0: Mm -hmm. yeah because it seems like a lot of the people in the ski scene are on a pretty similar path where they're like okay I'm not going to take the comfortable you know expected path I'm gonna like go out on a limb and like potentially like go broke doing it so it seems like the story is like really pretty applicable to like you know people in general but it seems like really applicable to people that are trying to make a career in the ski industry
1: yeah absolutely I mean if anyone can walk into the ski scene and make it to something without like these challenges and these distractions and like if someone doesn't have to like bust their ass and maybe go broke a time or two, I don't know how they did it. I don't know. I don't know what they're eating in the morning. I don't know how they're making it happen, but you know, good, good on them. But I think for the vast majority of people that are um, really trying to make it in one way or another, and to any degree in the ski scene that it, it takes so many hurdles, it takes so many, like, challenging relationships and challenging you know contacts with other people and it it's a beast but it's ultimately like the most rewarding thing that I think anyone can get into mm-hmm. yeah and
0: I i noticed that in in uh, spectacle it seems like the photos are the photos coinciding with the story it's a lot more like concisely grouped together it feels like there's like sections of the photos so what were you thinking with that and like how did that reflect like the writing too
1: yeah so i definitely spent more time with spectacle sort of getting that order and the flow uh in place more so than with human error um i wanted the photos to to sort of coincide or at least help bring a visual context to what the message is in the book um so sort of throughout it, you know, I started out. There was the um, I don't know, maybe the first eight to ten pages. I shot a big air event in Atlanta, Georgia. Um I was down there and there were so many spectators and people watching this uh World Cup big air event. And so I was fortunate enough and got invited, shot that, and I thought this scene right here. going to be the best way to introduce a story because it's like here are these world-class skiers like literally the best you know big air skiers in the world they're here doing their thing and we're all sort of in the stands watching and sort of kind of going goo goo gaga over what's going on so like this is like the crowd like this is here's the like performers here's the people that of busted their ass and they like made it up here to this jump and then the rest of us are just kind of looking it's like this entertainment value um and so i thought that was a great place to start the story and then bringing in the character it's like i wanted to hit the nitty-gritty photos of you know getting into the streets getting like i think a bunch of night shots up at brighton and all these like kind of grim you know like challenging uh Challenging photos, in essence, and all these like big wall rides and urban rails and such. I wanted that to be like sort of the challenge for the character in the story. That was like what he had to work through to ultimately get where they wanted to be. And so I remember from there, I would slowly develop into uh, some more powder skiing and touring and sort of the the lighter, the fluffier snow, of course, as the character like works his way through his own battles and through his journey. He ultimately gets to this place where skiing pow, but I think it's important to note there though. It's like the pow skiing at the end, it's like, that's not what everyone's working for. It's necessarily, it's not the pow skiing. That's like, you made it. That's not necessarily where everyone wants to go. A lot of people out there, they love, Uh, Skiing street and they love hitting urban rails and so I don't mean to say at all in the book that the urban riding is sort of you know the halfway point to where you're going you know there's still so much to be to be done and to be had in the streets like that is a type of skiing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I
0: feel you. Yeah, you weren't you weren't saying like oh he reached it like that's his pinnacle like it was just the photos that like the feeling of the photos communicated what the the character was feeling.
1: Exactly. That's right.
0: Yeah. Um, so I did have a couple of questions from like the photos in particular, um, just random stuff that stood out to me. Um, let's see Well, first of all, I love the section at the beginning at that big air event. I thought it was like, it told like a different side of it. Um, some of them are pretty like sick. I love the, I love the, the shot of the, um, How would I describe it? It's like the truck that's making the snow. Mm, I think it just looks so gnarly, like, and the lighting's perfect. I don't know what – I just love that photo for some reason.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, But going down, it looks like – like, I'm seeing Will Wesson in this orange hoodie. So, like, that immediately sticks out to me as, like, one of the the shots in zoot space. So, were you, like, rolling with those dudes for a little bit and, like – or were you just happened to be there because it was going
1: on in, like, Salt Lake? Yeah, that – That shot in particular, I think we got, you know, 12 inches or something in Salt Lake. And I was talking to Will around that time, and he had a couple features in mind that he wanted to hit. And, uh, yeah, he reached out he said, hey, I want to go do this. He also talked with Ollie, uh, filming for Zoot Space at the time. And he, uh, yeah, we both showed up. It was literally the three of us. Will and I, like, we built up this jump. Got the cameras, and you know we were there for maybe an hour and a half. He just like got his trick, and we were out of there. It, yeah, shooting shooting with Will is always a pleasure. He's just like so focused, so dialed. Like he's there, he sees what he wants, he gets it done, and we're out. So yeah, it, I love
0: his part in that in that video because it seems like um, for the most part it's a pretty underground, like nitty gritty video, and then uh, and then there's just a shot of Will and like who's just like a complete superstar you know so yes. I, just, I always thought that was a funny scene and that's why it like stood out to me when i was looking through this
1: totally totally no i love the variety of styles and the different different riders that are all involved
0: yeah that was super sick and the other one that um that stood out to me and perhaps that one stood out just because i was super tired reading i'm like oh i recognize this already cool. um but the shot of skiing in bryce canyon I thought that was so sick, uh, and so like, what was the backstory behind that? Because that that section actually took me by surprise. Because it's like so visually stunning. I'm like, oh, he was just at, like at the park, and it's like, no, like they're riding in it. So how did how did you guys
1: work that one out? Yeah, so believe it or not, that's not actually Bryce Canyon. It's down in the area. I I'd, I'd be nervous to put a pin on it. Okay. You know? yeah. But uh, it's within about an hour of Bryce Canyon, similar, similar zone. And uh, my homie, John Michael and I and Jeremy Collette and John Michael's girlfriend, Jill, we, uh, we saw there was snow down there and we wanted some sort of adventure to get out of Salt Lake. It's probably a weekend and the resorts were crowded so we're like, eh, let's drive down south a couple hours and go see what we could find. And so we spent two days like touring around like all those red rocks and, Um, hiking through like these huge, like hoodoo towers of orange and red rock. And ultimately we found ourselves at the top and we had a clear line, like all the way down to the bottom. And I remember looking at it and trying to think, okay, like where, where do I go to like do this place justice? Right. Like where, where's the spot where I can show the landscape, show the skiing show, that there is snow but not a lot of snow and so I'm sure the photo you're thinking of is the one kind of from above looking down at at the skier and I, I told them I'm like you know what guys I think with the wide wide lens I'm gonna go up here crawl out onto this super sketch like loose rocky cliff ledge and I think I'll be able to see like the whole patch of snow and then the landscape and it was nothing more than just a weekend adventure just having fun and shooting photos and everyone was just stoked just to be out there, really. It it was not quite about the skiing. It was just about where we were and having skis on our feet, I guess.
0: Yeah. That that, that shot's amazing. Like that is just it's super sick. And I can't believe you found like I don't know if it's that I'm not out in Utah, uh, so I don't know if like where you were at was like a well known area, but that it was such a, a sick find because that it looks just like Bryce.
1: Yeah, totally. No, thank you. I forget how we heard of the spot or where it came from and how it fell on our laps. But once we found out there's snow, it's like, we got to, we got to check this out. It's a couple hours. Like there's nothing to lose here.
0: Yeah. And, uh, so talking about that shot, it, so how do you frame, like, how do you get the vision for the photo you want to take? Cause I know that some people take different approaches. Like some people are running around with their iPhone and like, figuring out like, okay, what, how would this look? How would this look? So what's your process for picking the exact angle that you want uh, for these Mm. shots?
1: Yeah, that's a good question again. um, So that shot in particular, like shooting out over the red rocks and the rock towers and such, it's the landscape was such an important part of the visual there. And, you know, it's this little patch of snow. We need to show that we need to show the landscape So if I'm down below, you know, all of of the landscape, all of of these rock towers, they're in essence going to kind of stack in like a parallaxing way that it would be hard to see the depth, I guess, when I'm zooming in shooting from below. And so I thought, you know what, to shoot this, to show the snow, to show the landscape, I need to get up above. I need to get wide. I need to get this whole like, this whole arching view of this little patch of snow we're skiing down and you know it's it's different for different environments and I think that's one of my favorite parts of shooting skiing is looking at a feature, whether it's in a park it's in the streets it's a backcountry jump whatever that might be one of my favorite parts of shooting skiing is just seeing the space working my way around it and sort of Picking out like what, what is it about this angle that I think would make the skier pop or what is it, what do I have to do or where do I have to go to show this particular trick of like, oh, there's a blunt grab. It's a cork seven blunt. Someone's doing on this jump. Like, where do I have to be to show that blunt grab, you know, hopefully like super tweaked out, like at the highest point in the air. um, where do I have to position myself for that? And so I love sort of the analytical, like the, I guess, imagining where this person will be in the air, where they'll be grabbing and all. And I don't know, that's my favorite part. It's like kind of the the approach to getting the shot is almost as fun as getting the shot for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you're working with like Owen, because he's, he's another guy with a camera right beside you, are you ever turning to him and being like, all right, how are you like capturing this with your video camera, and then like kind of like incorporating that into how you're gonna capture it like with your with your still photography?
1: Yeah, totally. So it's kind of funny you bring that up. We sort of have this ongoing like joke how we always like take each other's angles, and how he'll like he'll be quicker to plot his camera once the spot's built, and he'll like be down below it or down to the side somewhere, and I was like looking around quickly and I'm like, shit, Owen's got the best angle already. So I'll like walk my way down to him. I'm like, dude, you took it, you took it from me. And uh, so we always have these jokes going on that we're always stealing each other's angles when we're shooting features and stuff. But uh, it, it can be quite different for photo and video where for video, you know, it's not so much about like the perfect frame and the perfect background and positioning. It's more about seeing the trick and like making sure that the entire grab is uh, is captured and that the rider doesn't pop out of the frame or anything like that. For photo, I'd like to say that it's more of capturing the quintessential moment or like that peaking moment of whatever the feature or the trick is. Sorry, the coffee maker's going off. No worries. Yeah, so for photo, it's all about like catching that, I guess, perfect moment of the trick and of like the whole the whole spot. It's, you know, if it's a flat down rail, it's like I want to catch them right at the corner, right at the kink, and hopefully the rider's grabbing or whatever it is, it's it's picking out like what is that moment with the trick that they're doing, like where what part of that trick is it that I need to catch to show the trick in one frame? and Mm -hmm. so that that sort of comes to the whole angle thing it's like i know the moment i know the trick i know what i want to capture now where do i have to go to make that appear like you know the feature is nice and big i don't want it to look small like it's you know just some little part of the photo i want to like show the feature i want to show the trick i want the rider to be right there and it's it's a fun little little mind game everywhere we go it's Shooting street, especially and with Owen, it's it's so fun. Like getting out and being in a new spot. It's like, okay, shit. It's a Saturday morning. We're behind an elementary school. Like, here's this handrail. There's security cameras. Like, we got to go build this jump, slide this rail, get our shots, and get out. And it, it's a pretty pretty amazing process of like showing up to a spot, building a feature. You know, the riders they're testing the jump, testing the feature hopefully we get the shot and we're out of there. It's very rarely is it like a very casual, like hangout, like, you know, behind a school or like in a public park. It's, we're like there to get it done and to get out of there.
0: Yeah. And so you're talking about like having to capture the the trick at its peak. So, and I've and I've always wondered this with like action sports photographers, are you taking is it like rapid fire where you're taking like as many shots as possible while they're in the air or are you actually timing it out so that you're capturing one shot at the peak and if you miss it then it's like
1: damn i just missed it (laughs) no yeah another great question for me i i have at times chosen to shoot like one single photo but typically i'll shoot in burst mode because i find that Even if I don't quite get like the rider in like the highest part of their jump, like in the air, even if I don't quite get that, like typically the next shot or like the next grab, like it's there, you know, it's, we say we try to get like the best photo and like the best positioning and such, but more often than not, it's like a little bit off sort of. And I find that shooting burst mode definitely helps me like get close to that. If I've spent enough time like working with a rider to get a particular shot or something, and we both know just what it is and we're like pretty focused on it, and I know the angle and everything that I want, sometimes I'll switch into manual focus and shoot it in one shot. Nice, man. It's I, yeah, yeah, I've always
0: wondered that because I feel like that'd be so hard to just take one photo that's like perfect.
1: Totally, especially the first time when you show up and say it's an urban rail or a jump it's like i maybe i don't know what trick they're gonna do so how do i like how do i shoot this to get like their shot and so burst mode is definitely uh definitely a savior at times yeah and so
0: going back to some more of the back end stuff um for spectacle so you have a lot of like um almost like uh credits at the very end Uh, so like, who are some of these people that helped you out? And like, did you go through the same channels to get it published? Cause I see that, like your credit in like, um, like Owen gave you some other shots. This dude, uh, Corey did some editing and book design. Laura did the illustration. So like,
1: so what was going on with all of that? Yeah. So it's, it's tough to thank everyone that was involved. Um, because really there were so many people involved. Maybe not in like the making of the project, but in helping me feel inspired to make it or, you know, just kind of talking me through like certain times in my life. Like so many people brought inspiration to that project. And so I must say, it's very hard to think I could thank everyone. But uh, I will say, having Corey Kirby's help again on Spectacle was probably like the biggest you know, the biggest thanks I could, I could give. Um, from, From the start, Corey, like, he, he gets my message, he would very quickly understand, like, here's the story I'm trying to tell, here's the style that I want it to, here's how I want it to feel, like, here's the weight, this and that, and Corey just, like, gets it, you know, anyone who's out there, like, trying to publish their own book, art book, poetry book, whatever that might be, Corey Kirby is, like, in my eyes, the one-stop shop for anyone who's like doing it for the first time. It's like, he knows his shit. He'll like get anyone dialed in and all the production specs and, you know, finding the right printers and paper materials. And anyway, he's, he's a legend. Corey Kirby, if you're making a book, hit him up. Um, Laura Obermeyer, super, super big thanks. She, her and I worked very closely to come up with the illustrations in the book. So I initially had the idea of like, of course, doing the photos to the story, but I wanted a little more visual on the story itself and the character in the story. And so I worked closely with Laura to come up with all the different uh, different little abstract illustrations that highlight the character and his journey in, in the world. Um, yeah, again, some photos from Owen Dahlberg there uh and then it just kind of goes blank because there's so many more names so many people that helped out but uh yeah i i think those are like the people that helped me the most with the project Mm
0: -hmm. and then you have dylan uh i'm not sure how to pronounce her last name oh yes
1: yeah yep yep so dylan dylan helped with the proofread he's uh he's a legend with Wordsmithing and working like out all the grammar kinks and uh, you know all the technical bits of writing that anyone else when they read they're not going to catch you like it's like oh this you know we need an independent clause here like take out this comma put this in you know he he really dove in and sort of gave it the proofread it needed.
0: Nice man. So what was the uh, what was the reception to uh, the second? book or like this first book, you know, cause you, the first one was like technically photo journal. Like what was your, what was the reception to the book compared to the uh, human error?
1: Yeah, I think it was, it was right where I was hoping. Um, people were really stoked and really excited about how thick it was. In essence, it was like a half inch thick. It was pretty heavy. It, it really felt like a full book and that from the start was what I wanted wanted to give it. Um, I know like the story itself and like even the introduction and the author's note, it's a bit to consume immediately. It's not quite the book that you can flip open and read through like right after you open it up in the packaging or something. Um, So I know there's several people out there that they got it and they would give it like a week or two before they felt they had the time to dive into it and consume it all um my biggest fear i guess putting it out was people receiving it and then flipping through it without reading it just to see all the photos without taking the time to like digest what i wrote out in there um but really all in all it was phenomenal feedback that i received it it was one of those projects that i felt was um just something that i i had to do for myself in a sense. Um, I had thought about it so long, you know, human error was kind of the backbone. I knew, I knew that I could put together a physical project and I just needed to kind of one-up myself in a way. And I'm extremely happy with how it turned out.
0: Yeah. So what's, uh, so what's next? Cause it looks like that was published in 2020. So are you already working on a new project? What, what have you been up to lately?
1: Yeah. So as of lately, I've been shooting quite a bit. I would say not quite as much as I did the previous winter. Um, so this whole past winter, it was just, it felt pretty strange with COVID and different, uh, you know, different groups of friends in different places, many traveling and, you know, groups being together, but not quite being together. And all these different like social aspects led me to not quite shoot as much as I had before. Um, I, I, I uh, started working for the Utah Avalanche Center back in the fall, actually, doing some digital marketing with them and shooting some photos some videos and, you know, running through some social media things for them. And um, it it was a busy winter in a different way. I definitely got to shoot a lot, but not enough, I think, to make another project. So what I'm thinking right now is I'll give it another winter of shooting and then the following fall. I'll be able to maybe one up myself and one up Spectacle again.
0: Yeah. And do you have like a long term vision for uh, for what you want to do for these books going forward? Like, oh, I want to print like X number of this, or I want to make like a trilogy that explains this. Or are you just like stockpiling photos and then and then you're gonna figure out what you want to want what you want to make with it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest goal of mine is to release books that will ultimately, uh, lead like a thought provoking, um, or I guess provoke thought in anyone that reads it rather, um, the photos, I, I want to just keep improving the quality, the style, the, the editing, all of it. It's the photos is kind of like what I'm really focusing on. That's like my craft. But I think ultimately what's important to me with the books is that someone can finish it and they have a takeaway. They have something that they can digest and process for themselves. Um, I would love to get to the point where I could release them like more frequently and like maybe do some issues. And my only concern with that is that I worry that I wouldn't be able to produce the books up to the quality that I would like to. I'd be scared of you know, wanting to start almost like a magazine and then fall short on the quality. And it's ultimately just a, a flimsy book of photos um, that the quality is definitely one of the most important things to me. And also just the takeaway um, from the message.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned in our DMs that you're thinking about doing another, another run of, uh,
1: of human error and uh, spectacle yeah that's the plan that's the plan i've I've been saying it for a little bit but i'm shooting to get some more copies in my hands in the next uh couple of months here
0: awesome so i'll have people keeping out for that so we'll uh we'll do a couple of viewer questions before we uh before we bring it home let's see what we got so uh, uh the caruso what gear do
1: you shoot with Ooh, good good question i used to be a cannon boy I sold all my Canon gear uh, almost two years ago now, and I purchased Sony. So now I'm fully in on Sony gear. I shoot with the Sony A7R Mark IV, uh, Sigma Art lenses. I love the wide angle, 14 to 24, 24 to 70, and love the big Sony 100 to 400 zoom. That's, uh, that's where I think uh, the rubber hits the road, and I can really really get in close for a shot from any distance without anyone even knowing. So yeah, I'm a Sony boy now. I love it. Hell yeah. Um, all
0: right. Grant Harris asks, uh, favorite Salt Lake city mountain.
1: Ooh, ski resort. I'm going to guess. Yeah. I'm assuming so. I got to give it up to Brighton. I really do. Um, since I moved to Salt Lake, Brighton has kind of been the home for me. Um, Hometown feel, it's very reminiscent of any resort or hill back in the Midwest. It, they definitely take care of their community. They take care of their own. And they it feels like nothing's changing there. It feels like they're very deep in their roots and they're not trying to be someone they're not. So I, I love Brighton. I love the terrain. They've got the parks. They've got, you know, all the good powder stashes. They got some cliffs, cliffs to jump off of. I give it to Brighton 100%.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty long haul of big cottonwood on some days though. You can get stuck. Oh up yeah, there. oh yeah. Um. All right, now we'll move into the uh, the Owen questions. Owen sent in three. Oh, love it. <laughs> um. All right, what's your favorite snack to eat
1: on a lift? Ooh. Well, if Owen's asking, I gotta say it's bagged tuna, maybe a canned tuna. I love I love the little quick hit of protein on the lift. Uh, it's definitely a fan favorite up at hood working together. Yeah. Tuna a time. Yeah.
0: I feel like when I feel like at, all the a lot of the questions that Owen received and the ones he asked he's asking are related to food. So I'm assuming he's a huge <laughs> food guy. Uh, but he
1: asked, How much granola do you eat in a year? Oh, God. That, uh, that's a hard number to give you. That's I would say probably between five to 10 pounds in a yeah. year it's like, I, I, <laughs> go ahead. yeah yeah I, lo- I love granola it's it's a great snack it goes great in yogurt it goes great with fruit it all around very versatile snack and i definitely didn't cut myself off much when we were working and living together i just have a bag like next to my computer editing photos like all throughout the evening and sometimes i'd like forget to eat dinner just because i'm snacking on granola just working there yeah
0: Oh, that's funny. And then the last of the viewer questions, and then I, then I have one more question for you. This one's also from Owen. Uh, any nude photo
1: shoots? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe one day. Maybe that's not something I can say I've done yet, but uh, I don't know. My door's open. I'm looking for work. So uh, if if he has a connection, if anyone has a connection, let's talk. Maybe that's like the
0: third book you do. Um you do like the body <laughs> issue of uh, sports illustrated except for the ski scene.
1: Yeah. Right. All right. No jackets, no shirts. Let's get it done. Yeah. Let's get it done. Yeah. And then, so my last
0: question, um, so what advice would you give, uh, for like a kid, you know, it's like similar to yourself. Like, what would you, what would your advice be for someone that wants to be a photographer in the ski industry? Like, how do you make money? How do you take the leap? Where do you need to be
1: all, all of that? yeah that that's the best question um i'd say stick it out i'd say if if anyone sees it in themselves to do anything i guess more specifically photography or videography if they they see it in themselves and they have the uh the means to spend time with it stick it out it it's all about the time spent in it and the time creating and developing your craft and coming up with projects and different bodies of work that you're really proud of because nowadays it's so easy for good work to be found. It's, you know, anyone can go out, start an Instagram account, start a Twitter, whatever it is and start sharing their work and get it out there. And I, I truly believe that quality work is found every day. And so if someone wants it, go on YouTube, look up how to do this, how to do that how to use Photoshop, how to work your shutter speeds, your cameras, whatever it might be. And all the information's out there. Most of it is free. It's a matter of time. And it's a matter of, I guess, focusing your intentions on it to ultimately see it through. Um, Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. That was was one thing that I thought of pretty early on starting. I'd, I'd look up to all these Uh, professional photographers and filmers and all these people doing some really awesome stuff and I think well they had to start somewhere I have to start somewhere like if I want to do that I I can't you know cut myself short like if I want that I've got to spend the time with it and so it's yeah it's uh minimizing distractions focusing in on it and putting the time in and it always works out
0: Hell yeah. Well, Christian, thank you for coming on today. It was awesome to talk to you. Uh, Where can people find you and uh, stay up to date on your projects?
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Ethan. So I can be found on Instagram at Gooser, just G-O-O-S-E-R. Really that's one of the only social media channels I'm on. You can visit ChristianRagoose.com, a couple more photos there and yeah. Really appreciate you having me on here, Ethan. I would love to do it again sometime and catch up once more.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, there you have everybody.